0: Let's uh, let's 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 begin with uh, a dose of, of the real thing. Should we do that? Be we with the dose of the real thing? All right. Well, I hope there aren't any Pepsi drinkers in here. Today. I, I've got I've got yeah. some Pepsi drinkers. I have yeah. Okay. It's okay. It's all right. We accept you. We accept you. I won't let my buddy Heath know about you because I have a friend Heath who's from Atlanta, where Coca-Cola originated. And have you been to Atlanta? Been to the Coca-Cola Museum or whatever? maybe it's not the museum what is it it's a museum right and you can go it's pretty cool cuz you can go and it's amazing how many drinks they have they have i mean i don't know 100 maybe 150 i mean you can go by and just 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 take all you want you know just drink soda pop just continuously they they have their fingers on a lot of different drinks in the world but back in the 1970s that was that was the thing right there as coke was the real thing that was their advertising slogan do you remember that some of you have been around for a while, yeah, that's I hear. Rumor has it that used to. I mean, I heard about the seventies one time. Someone let me know that the seventies exist. You know, some. Back, yeah, okay, whatever. Anyway, so yeah, there it is. It's uh, it's the real thing. The, uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting the way that our culture is always attempting to define our reality, in so many different ways. I mean, that doesn't that happened to the seventies. It happens today. Our culture is always trying to tell us what's real and what isn't real. It defines our reality. Well, anyway, in the 1970s, Coke was the real thing. And then I know that some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute. Something happened in the 1980s. Not April 23rd, 1985. Remember that day? That is like one of the most famous days in all of business history. Remember that day? 1985, April 23rd, 1985? i bet some of you can guess it right now. What happened? No, Coke rolled out the new Coke. Right? Remember new Coke? I'm already getting these negative reactions and so so forth. Rolled out the new Coke because apparently the real thing wasn't the real thing anymore. It's a, I, I thought it was real, but it wasn't. For 79 days, new Coke replaced Coca-Cola. It was now... New Coke, and it was it was really kind of based upon this idea that that it the the soda pop needed to be a little sweeter. Well, seventy nine days, it didn't work. It was the biggest disaster, in you know at least one of the biggest disasters in business history, right in American business history. I mean, we there are people going crazy because they thought they were actually losing their dear soda pop, their dear Coca Cola, and they wouldn't get it back. So they campaigned. I mean, thousands of people in the United States actually probably even in the world, campaigned against this new Coke thing. And in 79 days, Coke brought back the old Coke and did away with new Coke. Isn't that amazing? And of course, they called it Coca-Cola Classic because everything's classic now. You know, it's, it's, uh, If it used to be, it's been classic. So, so uh, that, was a, that was an amazing thing. I really thought Coke was real. Uh, by the way, how many of you have had new Coke? Like recently. Back in May, uh, there was a, they, they actually made more, new Coke again. None of you had it. You know, I don't think I've ever even had new Coke. You know, I'm not a huge, don't tell, don't tell my friend Heath, I'm not a huge Coke drinker, okay, uh, cola drinker, I should say, but I like Coke. All right, so, so the title of this message is Getting Real. Our culture is always trying to tell us what's real. It's trying to define us. It's trying to keep us in its own little place so that it can sell us more stuff. You know, I mean, that's what our culture does. Uh, but the title of this message is Getting Real, and it's not getting real in terms of Coke, but it's getting real with God. This is what I'm interested in this morning. Getting real with God. How are you doing with that? Are you real with God? You know, I, I, uh, I'll never forget being challenged with that as a young man, really just a teenager. Um, it's so easy to pretend, isn't it? So easy to pretend. Okay, well, we're in Ecclesiastes. Oh, by the way, oh, I had a couple of slides, didn't I? I was going to show that. See those, See that advertising campaign? Okay, and look. I even did I even had this going on? See how well I prepared I was. Getting real. I'm thinking right now that that's me on the screen, but it's not. It's not. You know? Okay, we're in Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes three. If there's ever a passage that will help us to just get real with life, this is it. This is certainly it. Ecclesiastes 3, beginning with verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Wow. What a point. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace. I love those times. I really do a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek, a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. Fascinating, isn't it? He says that. A time for war, And a time for peace. And he doesn't hold back on any of these things. There's a place for everything under the sun, it seems. And remember, I'll say it again, probably for the 15th time, that when Solomon writes this, he's writing as one under the sun, as one who does not receive the revelation from God, although and there's, a, there's a paradox here because he has received some form of revelation even to write this down. There's some way, some way that we don't understand that God is speaking through this text. And at the same time, the text is under the sun so that everything that happens is something in which God does not speak into. So there's a paradox going on. This is a text about facing reality. These things happen. I, I suspect that virtually every one of these things has happened in your life already. On some level, something has happened. We could preach a sermon on everything here. I'm sure of it. At least I could. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. It's a whole world of sermons right there. If you, anyone ever going to be a preacher in this room. Time to keep silence and a time to speak using our mouth and so forth. Um, we don't like to face reality. We, we as I've said also uh, in a few Sundays ago, we would rather be distracted than face reality. We as Americans simply don't like it. If we face reality, we'll have to look at things that we don't want to see. It's like going through Ecclesiastes 3, 1-8 and going, well, I'm just going to pick out the good stuff. But you can't do that. We have a brother who sits right over here who's not here today because he died we can't get around that we can't get around the fact that Kenny's not here this morning and he's not going to be here bad things happen period and we have to face the reality there's a message in the passing on of our brother Kenny um and, and so in order to not face reality, we do all kinds of things in our culture. We do everything we possibly can to get away from it. And besides just simple distractions like iPhones and so forth and, and radios and television programs and so forth, besides all that, we do different things. One of the things that we do as Americans, we're really good at it. one of the things that we do is we write new narratives. We write new stories. Uh, we do this on the national level and we do this on the family level. We pretend in our family sometimes. Sometimes we pretend. And sometimes we have to pretend just to get through our day. But but we pretend about the fact that our family is really better than it really is. And that's understandable. But we write new narratives. We tell new stories. We create new stories. I I can tell you right now that there's things in my family's life, not in my immediate family, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, but there's things in the big picture in my family that's pretty rough. I'll just go ahead and say I go ahead and say it right now. I have a grandfather. Actually, I don't have a grandfather. He's gone. I have a grandfather I never met, and my mother only knew her knew him the first 2 years of her life, so she never really knew him. But he died in prison. That's in my family history, you see? That's in my family history, and I could write a narrative that would leave him out. But I'm not going to do that. Because I want to face reality. Um, there's some funny stories related to that with my mother, uh, which I won't get into. God bless her. Um, but that's a tough thing for her to face. That was, that was a tough thing for her to face. right? So I'm not, I mean, I understand. I'm not trying to say it's all bad to kind of write new narratives. But we do it on a national level where we try to retell our story, so to speak. And it's happening all around us now, Right? I mean, you see it, and I'm not here to tell you that Christopher, like for example, for example, Christopher Columbus is a bad guy or a good guy, right? But who here doesn't know that on the national level, we're rewriting the story of Christopher Columbus because we want it told a certain way? Um, I took history in college, uh, that was my major, and I was rapidly introduced to the whole idea of revisionist history. We, There are people who want to retell the story their own way and their, their own agendas and so forth. So we do that. We're, we're good at that, actually. As Americans, we're good at that. But there's other things besides writing, revisionist history and writing new narratives. We we, we we do this when it comes to the whole issue of sin and evil. Um, more and more, we we make this an unbelievable claim. It's happening more and more as a percentage of our of our of our people in our nation. More and more, we we're starting to view sin and evil as fictions. Uh, sin's not real. Many say it's not even a real thing. The deity we once worship is either unable, too busy to care about the little things in our lives. So he or she is what many say is certainly not going to be concerned with our little mistakes. So, so what is sin? What is, what is sin anyway? Sin is kind of an, in, an inconvenient idea to many. And so evil, what is that? What is evil? What is it? More and more we say evil is simply that which doesn't fit into my own agenda, doesn't fit into my own plan uh, to attain comfort, pleasure, and security. That's really what I want. That's really what I need is comfort, pleasure, and security. And besides, your black might be my white. What you see as bad might be something that I see as good. So who are you to say that evil is evil and that good is good? It is Something is evil if it, if it is evil in my eyes, but I don't know about your eyes. So all this kind of truth, this black and white stuff, this good and evil becomes entirely relative. And so we put this on our car, right? Which is an eastern symbol, uh, the yin and the yang. It's an eastern symbol. It's like Who are you to say that my black is really black? And who are are you to say that my white is really white? There is no true white and black. There is no true good and evil. It's just whatever is useful. Whatever works, you see. Whatever works. That's the idea. And we have bought into this narrative, this way of thinking, and so forth. Um, We bought into what we call a Dualism. It's a false dualism, you see. Um, but but the writer of Ecclesiastes doesn't let us get away with that. Um, and let me give you an example. Um, the writer of Ecclesiastes says things like this: a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. He's not saying that sin and evil are necessarily opposites and that's what some of us think when we read this well there is this dualistic idea but he's not saying that that sin and evil are necessarily opposites of good and evil notice notice what he doesn't say notice what he doesn't say did i put this on the slide i don't think i did okay uh he doesn't say in all these expressions you notice this notice this he doesn't say there is a time for sin and a time for obedience he doesn't say that he doesn't say there's a time for evil and a time for good what the writer of Ecclesiastes is doing in chapter three is that he's trying to to cover the 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 entirety of human experience. Okay, so so people confuse that all the time, but nevertheless, nevertheless, let me just say this. Let me say this is what is reality. This is reality, the biblical point of view, and this is our reality. This is true in the world. Okay. Reality is this: God is holy, and He created a world to reflect His holiness. That is what's real. Whether you want to believe it or not, it's real. Whether you see it as being true or not, it's true. God is holy, and he created a world to reflect his holiness. Now, if, if we are going to truly reflect his holiness, it means that we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is on the throne. What we're talking about is, is sovereignty or rule, God, God's ruling, and God's holiness. So I wanted to take us... To Revelation chapter 4. Because so many of us don't really believe, we don't hold on to the fact that Jesus is on the throne. But the biblical story is that he's on the throne right now, at this moment, at this time. And we live in a world which doesn't acknowledge it at all, because after all, I mean, look at all the problems in the world. How could God possibly be on the throne when we have all these issues in front of us? When there's constant sin, there's constant evil, marriages are broken up, families are, bro- are, are broken. Uh, there's evil in the streets, there's riot after riot, protest and protest, protests. there's war after war, how could God possibly be on the throne, how could Jesus possibly not be on the throne? But the biblical view is that Jesus is indeed on the throne even now. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Revelation because it's important that we hold on to this and recognize this, this reality. Okay? And the amazing thing is that we have this gift about Jesus uh, Jesus being on the throne. And this is something that the writer of Ecclesiastes didn't really have. He didn't have this insight. He didn't have this revelation. He just was able to just look around the world and say, well, there's this and there's that. 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 But he didn't know this. And besides, we get to be people who look back at the cross and look back at the resurrection, look back at the ascension, Look back at the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and we see that Jesus really is on the throne. So I just wanted to read this for you today to get our heads around the truth and that we need to acknowledge this and to live our lives according to this. You see, this is about worship. This is about Jesus being on the throne. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what, what must take place after this, or in the Greek it could be with this. With this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven. Do you know, by the way, you probably don't, but the word throne in Revelation 4 is used 14 times. 14 times. Twice in reference to the The saints being on our, we have a throne that we sit upon. It's using a dozen times in reference to the the Lord. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. This is us. These are those who walk with Jesus Christ. We are the elders here. One of the things that, that John is trying to tell us is that we are to live our lives according to this text. To see this reality. To live in this reality. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. Hmm. I've got to tell you what that's about. The sea of glass is about evil about evil. You see, because Jesus has defeated evil, because he's defeated death, he has calmed all the storms of evil. Do you believe in that? Now, I know that some of you are suffering. Many of us are. This is not an easy life. But we're seeing an already and a not yet here. We're seeing parts of it. We're seeing... That the waters that rage against us, that rage against life, that the storms of life, that that God is already calming the storms of our lives. And so the sea of glass is a sea, is the sea that is, is a sea of rebellion that is calm before the throne. It's very important that we see that. Do you believe that, by the way? That's the question. Do you believe that God is able to calm your storms? to calm your waters, the rages of life, the things that happen in life that destroy us and make our lives really difficult, do you believe that God has the power, that Jesus has the power to bring that to quiet? John would have us believe that. Before the throne, there was, it, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, Or four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The seven living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say and by the way this is all of creation this is the domesticated this is this is the animal kingdom both wild and domesticated the birds of the heavens humanity this is what this is what what we are to do holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come see that what i put up on the screen Here's the reality. God is holy. And he created a world to reflect his holiness. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, that's you and me. Now, I could spend a lot of time on this, which I'm not going to because I taught Revelation class and maybe I'll teach it five more years from now. But you just have to trust me on this. That the way of the evidence in terms of the, of the biblical, biblical story is that this is a reference to us, the 24 elders. You see, God has, so you may not feel this way today, but God sees you as royalty. Do you believe that? Do you, do you believe that? that? God sees you as royalty. He doesn't look at you as a worm. He doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't look at you as someone who is like, you know, just... Not even really worth listening to. You know, some of us have gone through so many difficult things that we think that God must not like us. But that's the wrong, wrong picture. God sees us and He says, You're someone else. You're someone special. You're amazing. You're one of my kings and queens. We're royalty, friends. That's who we are. That's who God has made humanity to be. And all those who know Jesus Christ enter into that world. And God says, these are my kings and queens. This is my royal family who rules with me. And I have a job for you. I have a place for you. I have something for you to be and I have something for you to accomplish in this world. And that's what the church is supposed to be. 24 elders and what do do? How are the elders? What are, they, what are the elders doing? Twenty-four elders. They fall down before him who is seated on the throne. This is this is the who we are. This is our whole way of, of living our lives. We're always casting our crowns. We're always falling down before him. We're always doing things. This is our reality. The world would have us say, "Hey, hey, hey! You're you're, you're the only good that you are is how much money you make. How much you can accomplish for me? How much you can accomplish for my agenda?" But God says, no, actually, that's not true. You are royalty because I have purchased you and made you royalty. And our response to his his claim on our lives that we are something amazing in this world, our response is what? Is to cast our crowns. That's what it is. Look at this. Down here, Verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before him and seated on the throne who is seated on the throne and worship him forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, "Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." I know that many of you are going through tough, tough, tough times. It's amazing. It's amazing what's going on in this congregation. I'm trying to tell you. Get God's perspective on who you are. You know, when we talk about getting real, facing reality, it doesn't always mean that we're at the bottom of the trash heap. What it actually means is that we're not in the trash heap at all. That God has a place for us. Getting real with God means recognizing who we are. No matter what the circumstances around us, recognize who we are. And the second thing it means is that we enter into that through prayer. Um, Luke, in Luke chapter 11, which I uh, made reference to earlier in the service, when we opened the service, Jesus is, we were told that Jesus is in a certain place, we're not told what that place is, but it's a certain place. I like the way Luke tells us the destination. Oh, it's a certain place. It's just a place. It's a place somewhere. I don't know where that is. That's probably intentional. You know, if if we if if Luke told us exactly where it was, we'd probably build a shrine around it, right? We would. If you go to if you go to Israel, you'll see that every place that they recognize what Jesus Jesus was, they, they build some sort of shrine around it. So if you go to Capernaum. There's this, there's this, uh, there's Peter's house. And you know what's, what's on, what's where Peter's house was? You know what they built on it? A church. Of course, right? A church. But we have this way of enshrining everything. And Luke says, look, it, he went to pray a certain place, so we don't know where it is. That's probably a good thing. And when he had finished praying, one of the disciples who was representing all the rest of the disciples. Ask them, hey, um, would you please teach us to pray? That's getting real with God. You know, Jesus could have said, "Well, here's how. Here's how you pray: stand up, lift your hands, say big things. God will be so impressed. Name it and claim it. Do it, right." God, oh God, I know you promised. I know you told me what a special person I am. I'm claiming that for me. You've got to give it to me. I'm someone special. You can, you can get the idea. Okay? There's lots of ways to pray. By the way, if you want to learn how to pray, come to the skit, right? Come to the skit, yes, right. Come see the skit, okay. Come see the skit on Harvest Dinner Night. We'll learn how to pray, or maybe how not to pray. But the disciples come to Jesus and they say, "Look, look, look! Teach us how to pray, because they desired to be with the Lord." You know, getting you know, I'll never forget when I was in college. I was, I was, uh, someone actually said this to me, I don't know who, but I'll never forget someone saying, look, um, your personal life with Jesus Christ, no one will ever really know what that's like. Only God knows the inside of you. You can pretend all you want to be a Christian. You, 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 can, you can look the part You can come to church on Sunday. You can impress other Christians. But only Jesus knows if you know him. Only one. Only God knows if you know him. You get some ideas, you know, because I look at some of you and I go, wow, I wish I could be like you. Because I see the godly character coming out of your life. We get ideas. It's like, oh, this person over here, this person really loves Jesus, and I want to be like that. But you know what? In the end, there's only one person who knows whether or not you're the real deal, whether you're the real thing, and it's Jesus. Do you recognize who you are? And do you live it out? That's the question. Getting real with God is living it out. Taking Believing that you, believing that you're someone, someone who God claims you to be, one who is royal, and living accordingly. So I got a challenge for the church. I was thinking about this as, uh, last night, actually, and I realized I would need to give you all a challenge because you know what Jesus says to the disciples. You know, particularly in Matthew, when he gives them the sermon, the the uh, Lord's Prayer. He says, go into your room and shut the door. Don't let anyone see that you're praying. <laughs> That's kind of the idea, right? So I have a challenge for you. And I'm, I, guess what? I can't test you. I can't test you. But I trust that you will do this. And This is my challenge to you. This is my challenge to the church. Because I think God's calling us to be real with him, right? Every day this week. Every day this week, get a loan with God. So, yeah, but, you know, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then you can add what the church has added for so many years. For thine is a kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Next day, do it again. It's like I've heard from some of you, it's like, well, I know, it's just kind of like scary to come to a prayer group on a Wednesday night. I understand. You're invited, nevertheless. You can do this. You can get alone with Jesus. Believe who you are, your royalty. Go to Him in prayer. You want to pray for the Watson family this week? Do that. But get alone every day with the Lord. That's getting real. Yes, Jean. of course. Especially for Jeannie, Especially for Jeannie. But that's the challenge. This is the practical challenge I'm giving you this week. Because Jesus says that when we do that, the Heavenly Father sees us and he will reward us. I covet to do that with you this week. Would you be willing to do that? Shut your door, get alone, and pray. Getting real with God. Remember who you are. That he offers forgiveness. If you're struggling with forgiveness, he offers it as you forgive. Believe who he claims you to be.